Welcome to Tad Dickel's Leadership and Strategy Podcast, bringing you authentic conversations with leaders about their approach to leadership and their organization's strategy for success. Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Strategy Podcast. This is your host, Tad Dickel. And I'm here today with our guest, Savannah Wood. She is the CEO of Echo Housing. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thank you for having me. We're happy to have you here today. If you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners your background. Well, so I joined the Army whenever I was 18 and active duty. So I was six years active duty in the Army stationed at Fort Hood. Three of my six years, I lived in Iraq, so deployed. And then a small deployment to Hurricane Katrina for disaster relief. Actually, it was my third deployment. My husband at the time and I were dual military. And I was on my third deployment, and I started to get really sick, and I realized I was pregnant. <laughs> uh, and so I deployed back to the States um, and decided to get out from active duty to raise my son. And then we moved to Arizona after my husband at the time also got off active duty. There I worked for General Dynamics at the Intelligence Schoolhouse before I was hired on with the Department of Defense as a federal employee. So we lived in Arizona. It's beautiful. It's amazing. For five to six years uh, before we decided to pick up and move back to Evansville. Whenever I got out of the military, you know, and just going to work for another military contractor, that was a pretty easy transition. It wasn't until I got back to Evansville and I realized, you know, military intelligence does not translate well in the Evansville community. So I had some odds and ends jobs. I actually did some utility locating for a little while just to pay the bills before I got picked up for the state, uh, working for the state of Indiana in workforce development. So I did that for a couple of years, and eventually it just kind of led me to Echo Housing and one of their veterans employment programs. And so here I am. Great. So you started in the veterans housing program and then it's about two years ago, promoted to CEO? Yes. So I started off in 2018 working at the Gresham House, which is Department of Labor, Veterans Employment. And then a year or two after that, Chris Metz, the former executive director, said, hey, I'm looking for a program director to oversee all of our homeless service programs. And I was like, you know, I think I could do that. It was a shock, very eye-opening, because I was used to military, veterans, workforce, and I came up to work as middle to senior management within the agency over overseeing all housing programs. And to be honest, I didn't know a thing about supportive housing and housing all the homeless, not just working with veterans, but it has been very, very rewarding. And so in uh, 2022, Chris decided to step down. Uh, we went through the full application process and in August of 22, I, I was named CEO. Awesome. So talk a little bit about what Echo Housing does for our listeners that might not be aware. Um, You mentioned uh, permanent supportive housing. Talk about uh, all the programs that you offer. Okay. So we have soon to be eight homeless service programs. Um, We are working on the Promise Home Project, which is 27 one-bedroom units for the chronically homeless in the city. And we have, we recently announced the um, consolidation with the House of Bread and Peace, which is an emergency shelter for women and children that actually just came out this past Friday. Um, And aside from that, we have two homeless veterans program, one again, the employment-based and the other, the supportive housing-based. And then we have Lucas Place for homeless families with minor children. We have Garvin Lofts, which is for the medically vulnerable. I mean, we kind of just 
the whole gamut of of homeless services. So, wow. and how about how many people do you house or hundreds? Oh, hundreds. Yes. Okay. So it's hundreds, and so it it just depends on program and population served, and you know just the the HVRP, which is the Homeless Veterans Employment Program. They are we are in eleven counties of Southwest Indiana versus housing, which is ten counties, and so really there's just a lot of overlap, and it really depends on the programs. Okay. But aside from housing, we also do community development. Um, and so we are the lead agency for the Promise Zone, the federal designation, and the city of Evansville is our lead partner. So we do a lot of community development initiatives. Awesome. Well, that's a good good overview. Thanks. So a fun question. We're, we're recording this the day after the Super Bowl. Did you watch the Super Bowl? I did. I did. Okay. <laughs> did, you, did your team win? I didn't pick a team. I really, I, I did want the 49ers to win, and I really thought they were going to, but, you know. In the back of my mind, I knew the Chiefs were going to pull it out at the end. Yeah, I, I kind of thought that the Chiefs were going to win. I, I grew up in Omaha, and I would say that's the Chiefs are probably the most popular team there. So yeah. I, I kind of like the Chiefs, so I was okay with it. One other fun question. So favorite halftime show of all time, do you have one? <sighs> was it last year with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre? That was so good. I think that, that was I think that was two was years ago. Was it two ago, years ago? That, that was a good one. That's probably my favorite, just because it was so dynamic. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of those, those were a lot of popular songs when I was <laughs> yes. in high school. And- yeah, and I saw Facebook posts about the kids from the 80s and 90s do it the best with all these halftime shows and Usher and, and all that. So it was a good, very good show. Good, good. Well, okay, so we'll, get, we'll transition back to... Um, to, to leadership, back to business. How would you describe your approach to leadership? And I'd be curious for you to talk about how your military experience has factored in to that. Well, I feel like I have been exposed to so many different types of management and leadership and throughout my professional journey. And along the way, I've kind of just pulled what I feel works for whatever I'm doing at the time. You know, in the military, it was very, at least in my experience, very authoritarian, very strict, very structured. And, and to be honest, as a female in the military, it was, you know, you have, you have to work twice as hard to be recognized, to be listened to, you know, and it's tough. My, my job in the military as an intelligence analyst was to study the threat and then brief commanders and patrols on where they're most likely to see the threat, ways, you know, how to stay safe on patrols and routes and missions. Um, And I learned very young, not even realizing it was kind of an aspect of leadership that you have to earn the trust. Mm -hmm. And so I did whatever I could when I was 19, 20, deployed back to back, that in order to earn people's trust, you have to no more, work harder, put yourself in their shoes. And, And so that was something I learned very early on. And that's, one aspect I've taken with me. From the military, whenever I went to work for um, General Dynamics and then Department of Defense, I had I went to the schoolhouse in Arizona, very strict. And, and one of my former uh, leaders, he's one of my best, he said, you know, Savannah, you're very no-nonsense, you know? And I was like, well, isn't that a good thing? You know, like, that's how it's <laughs> supposed to be, right? No, it's not. I was just very, very rigid, you know, and I realized with that structure and that mindset that you're going to fail. And I did, you know, I did fail and and I've had professional, I guess, losses, so to speak. You know, I was removed from a team and put on a different team and I was like, okay, something's got to change. Like 
I felt like my heart was in the right place and I was trying to help, but I couldn't stop that military mindset. And so I started just reading. I started listening to others. I started to be more open to my own personal growth. And then a short time later, I was put back in charge of a team, you know, and, but then even then I realized I have to continue to earn the trust and I need to know the subject matter of what is, you know, being instructed. And I did everything I could to, to show the team there that what I was doing was valuable. I was here to support them. You know, it's, it's all those elements. When I came back to Evansville and I started working in workforce development, serving homeless veterans, that was a whole different, I had not been. Um, exposed to homelessness before then, aside from, you know, third world countries and humanitarian relief, but really just sitting in the middle of a community and understanding the depth of what the problem was. And so that kind of opened a door of, of compassion and empathy that I had closed a long time ago. And so I took that with me, you know, and then I get to Echo and we sometimes we joke about echo housing being this like time and place warp because you know you could be here for three months and you feel like you've been here for nine years you know because mm-hmm. they're so busy and so fast paced there's so much going on all the time that you have to stop you have to put things in perspective and again you have to put yourself in the shoes of other individuals whether it's team members whether it's individuals you're serving in the community and so really each kind of stage of my professional journey has added to the next yeah I, I really like your point about about building trust. And one of the common pitfalls of a leader is to get a title and to assume that trust is already given to them with that title. And, and what we typically need to, to really invest in is building trust, building relationship, making sure that we have credibility. Mm-hmm. And, and with credibility and trust, that's where I would say, and I don't even... Sometimes I don't like this word, but like the word of power, mm-hmm. where we really have the power or ability to influence things mm-hmm. v- versus like if we're just handed in a title, a, a title and we don't actually have that trust and credibility, like our ability to influence is, is very minimal. Absolutely. Some of, the, some of my most influential leaders that I've come across uh, in my journey are those that have the power that don't even realize it. You know, they don't use it. They're really there just really to accomplish the mission, not to go all the way back to the military, you know, accomplish the mission and see everybody excel and succeed together. Yeah. But then I, I think it's probably really interesting, a mix be- when you are working with a homeless population of being compassionate and trying to understand their story, but also to to encourage them or push them to help improve their situation if, if possible. Absolutely. It's a mix of the individuals we serve and the staff members. Because supportive housing and serving the homeless community to the depth that we do, whether it's, you know, it's specific, it's in-home visits, it's case management, social services. It's such a, a niche thing. We talk all the time about we've seen it all and then something happens and you really haven't. And so it's really hard to explain to, you know, maybe a new team member what they could experience or, or what could happen when you just never know? Right. I have a tremendous respect for for veterans, and I'm curious, as a young woman, what inspired you to make that choice and, and to pursue the Army? So my grandfather was in World War II, and he was in the Ranger Battalion that stormed D-Day. You know, I mean, he just a lot of family history with it, but as a young kid, 18, 19, uh, to be honest, I didn't appreciate 
what his service was, not until I had to do it myself and realize how dang tough it is, you know? Right. But really, I just, when I was 18, I, I wasn't sure of what I wanted to do with my future. Mm-hmm. And so, to be honest, I was at a library. I was at Red Bank Library on the West Side, and I just started researching, do I want to go to college? What do I want to do? And it was actually an army advertisement that popped up. And I was like, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe I could do the military. And so actually I went to the recruiting station was down on, I think South green at that time. Um, and I went in one evening and I had originally was going to Marine Corps, you know, that's what I was going to start with, but their offices were closed early. Uh, (laughs) and so the army offices were the, was the only one that was on and, and still open at that time. And so I went in there and Met a recruiter who I'm still friends with today, and he talked me into it, essentially. Now, would I do it all over again? I've had, you know, a lot of people ask that, and, you know, I learned a lot of valuable things. I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily think, I don't know. You know, I'm proud of my service, and I'm proud of getting through what myself and, you know, everybody got through. Um, but I don't know if I'd do it again or if I'd want my kids to do it. So right, right. it's I'm, tough. I'm, I'm sure that's um, kind of mixed mixed feelings yes. about it. Yeah. And your father is Mike Wicker, yes. right? Yes. So some of our listeners might know him as a he's an author and and great um, man. And, and he <laughs> he spoke about your grandfather. I remember several years like telling the story of that that battle, and it was very. Very moving mm. to to hear him talk about that, and I can imagine having that that family history and the the pride that comes with that that might make somebody make that decision. Yes, yeah, that's that's definitely so. I did not. It wasn't until my grandfather passed away in 2015, uh, and my father had asked me if I would read a story during the the funeral. And so I did, and I had, you know, my dress, my class, my, my dress blues on, my class A's, and I got up there to read it, and it was tough because this, this story was the, the nuts and bolts in the weeds of him saving a little girl's life in France, and it was tough, and, you know, I'm crying, and everybody's crying, but I'm trying to keep my composure and hold it together, and that's really whenever I, that was my first proud moment of serving in the military mm. to kind of carry that on. Cause you know, it's so easy to hold on to the negative and, and the things that you've had to go through uh, in the course of, of something like that. But that was really like, okay, you know what? It was worth it, you know? Right, and right. so it was just having that family tie. Sure. I, so my, my background's in, in music and uh, trumpet is my main instrument in college. Mm. And so I've had a, a few opportunities to play taps at a at a funeral, and it's just a really, it, it's an honor to to be part of that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. It's that's gut wrenching. Mm-hmm. I mean, just hearing it, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for sure. Mm-hmm. So I want to I want to change change gears a little bit. I know that you took over a situation at Echo Housing, and not to go into any any details or anything, but there was financial mismanagement probably five six years ago. Unfortunately, it was in the media, things mm-hmm. like that. And, and then you come in to an organization right around the same time. Uh, you hit COVID, which was, was a challenge for everybody. How did like coming into an organization that had experienced that kind of turmoil, how did that influence how you led? Good question. <laughs> so... 
really once once I came in uh, into Echo, and at that time I was coordinating a program, and you know Chris Metz again was the executive director right at that time, but. Day one, he and I sat down and said, okay, this is kind of like our, our mini strategy. You know, Chris is going to, you know, walk through and, and work with investigators and, and all the aspects of, of what had happened there. And Van, you're going to be the face of what we're doing in the community and the news and the stories and the impact. And, and really, I just need you to do it. And I, and I always tell Chris, you were very fortunate to have somebody like me alongside you. <laughs> just him and I are both individual motivators, go-getters. And so we worked really, really well together. Um, but then right after that, the pandemic hit, you know, and so just, you know, him and I would talk all the time about, man, we can't get a, catch a break. You know, <laughs> there's always something, you know, and when the pandemic hit, staffing significantly, drastically reduced. And we're trying to keep everybody housed with really like four team members when we should have 16, 17, you know, it was very, very tough. But what that did whenever I took over as CEO was show me that we can still do it. You know, everything is possible. You can keep serving no matter what kind of adversity you're facing. And to be honest, it taught me everything about every program and every person. So it which just helps me lead better, you know, so I can answer those questions and be there to support through difficult times. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's good. It, it, it seems like in the community, the, the reputation has uh, has greatly improved, and so the perception is 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 considerably better. And I think your your leadership has helped guide that. Um, Thank you. Talk about your you know current efforts. I know that you have have launched into some branding efforts and and kind of redesigned there. What motivated that uh, those changes? Well, in the history of the agency, there's never been a marketing communications managers, team member, you know, anything of that nature. And, you know, Lucy Hempstead is on our board of directors, and that's kind of her area of expertise. Mm-hmm. And right around end of last year, um, we sat down and talked about we really need somebody to help us send the message, spread the mm-hmm. message, because um, we do so much critical work every single day, but we're all so busy, we can't we can't share the story. And so that's whenever the board approved the brand new position. And so we went through six or seven months, you know, in interviews and trying to find that right person. And, you know, eventually we did. Kim Armstrong joined our team and she's been great. And part of her coming on board was her saying, I didn't realize you guys did this much stuff. You know, I didn't realize Echo was, you know, this spread out in the community. And that really kind of, you know, put the fire under us to maybe we should do something different. Right. Yeah, no, I've I've enjoyed seeing some of the new visual elements. I think they, uh, it's a good look for the, uh, for the agency. One of the areas that, I mean, just about every company is dealing with is on employee retention and, you know, attracting talent. What, you know, how has that affected you? And I think especially in the nonprofit world, it's, it's tough because you're, you're struggling with typically lower salaries Mm -hmm. and benefits that you're able to provide. But what are some things you've done to enhance that area? We have historically, you know, in all the years I've been here and whether, you know, it was intentional or just because of everything going on in the pandemic, we were very siloed as a team. So, you know, if you're in the veterans program, you're over at this site or Garvin Lofts over at this site. Very, I mean, working down at the Gresham house, I didn't even know a single other team member, you know, really, except for the office manager and Chris. And so, um, whenever I came up to the main office, I was like, you know, we need to change this. I mean, all team members should know 
not only who each other is, but the impact we're all working towards a collective mission every single day. And so we started gradually, especially once the pandemic had, was over, integrating everybody and you know, sharing information and sharing successes and also brainstorming the really tough because there is a lot of crisis. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of, you know, need for de-escalation with serving some of the most vulnerable in the community. And so it really just gave everybody a space to vent, to brainstorm, to be creative in ways that we can still keep people housed, but also initiatives. So this is what our folks need. This is what our, you know, our clients need. How can we make this happen? And so from there, Evansville Police Department and Southwest Behavioral Health and Deaconess and St. Vincent, really just this collaborative type of agency and and mindset and bringing everybody together. Yeah. I mean, I imagine your your employees deal with some pretty stressful situations on a fairly regular basis. What are are there? Are there self-care techniques that you think have been really helpful for the team members? That's t- that's a tough question because it's almost it's almost at every single day. Right. Um, and so, it probably depends on the person. But I'm just yeah. curious if you have tips for other leaders that are, you know, trying to help their employees navigate, you know, difficult situations, but also at the end of the day, not take that home or not burn them out so bad that they can't, you know, effectively do their job. Absolutely. So we do have um, mental health days. And depending on, you know, unfortunately, we, we do have clients that we find deceased in their homes. And, and so we approach things and offer um, opportunities for therapy. And actually, our team does go through mind-body medicine, um, which Aurora offers. Um, and it is free. And it's an eight-week course once a week. And they can go there and just learn tips and tricks to, you know, de-stress and, and focus on their mental health and their, and their profession. And, of course, you can use that in your personal life as well. Right. And a lot of it also has to do with offsetting the day-to-day stressors with the positives. So I understand you had a really tough day, but the day before you ended three cases of homelessness, you know, and putting kind of shifting, reframing the perspective so that they understand the impact they're making and always being accessible. So we, we, we have an organization where all of us are accessible to everyone at any time. There is not really this top down type leadership style. Um, You can come in and we can, we can talk through problems and issues, which we do quite often. Yeah. I think that's, I think those are great tips. I'm glad you're, you're working to support your employees and, one of the things that kind of struck me as you were talking was around like that positive mental model. And as, as leaders, one of the things that we can do is try to help frame things for people. I remember my father, I mean, for years has talked about like the importance of like self-talk. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and just in, in many ways, like we are, are the product of our thoughts. Mm-hmm and how we approach things. And if we only focus on the negative, which is sort of human nature, mm-hmm. um, it's sort of a, a, a way that we've evolved to survive, to, mm-hmm. a, to try to avoid or counter negative experiences mm-hmm. versus like if we spend some time like at the end of the day, like showing gratitude expressing gratitude to others or to sometimes say like, you know, I'm grateful I had, this part of the day. Yes. And and most days we can find something to be grateful for. Absolutely. And there there are definitely some exceptions, but I I just I feel like there are always those moments where we can like 
find the find the good in what we do. Yes, it's funny. So a couple about a year ago, um, I took all the team to Toastmasters. So they had kind of this open to the public recruitment type yeah. thing. And it's, it's all about public speaking and being comfortable. And we did this exercise where we had to stand up and just share something, share a thought about ourselves. And, and of course, you're being evaluated on how you present things. So I stood up, I raised my hand and, and I started to speak. And one of the things I wanted to share, because I was newly, you know, newly promoted to CEO was Something that, you know, I have struggled with historically and I've heard other people struggle with is imposter syndrome. And, you know, I don't feel like a CEO. Maybe I don't necessarily dress like a CEO most of the time, but I feel like I'm doing and and I'm where I should be. And so I won the little Toastmaster Award, which was a lot of fun. But a lot of team members came up after that and said, you know, sometimes I feel like that too. And And I felt like that was kind of just... I pushed open it. I kicked open a door for conversation within the team where sometimes they're just like, what am I doing here? You know, right. am I really where I'm supposed to be? Yeah. And so I thought that was a really good exercise. Yeah. And, and, and that, that brings up the topic around vulnerability, which is something that really builds trust and mm-hmm. builds relationship. And it, it's, it's interesting the work that I do as a leadership coach, as a a leadership trainer, somebody working in this space, I interact with executives of of large companies mm-hmm. or, you know, sometimes small companies or nonprofits or I mean, and it's interesting because I, I had an experience a, a couple of years ago where I was uh, working with a um a CEO that I I admire greatly. And I would say that you know, and for com- for confidentiality reasons, I I won't won't share any identity mm-hmm. or anything like that. But he he called me to talk to me about some of his struggles leading, mm-hmm. and and he is somebody who everybody who knows him, like internally, externally, really view they view him as a great leader. Mm-hmm. I mean, very effective, very visionary, very inspiring. The companies had great performance under his leadership. And it was interesting because he said, I'm struggling because I don't know what to do. And COVID had had been a, a difficult time for him right. and his company. And for many of us, we went into survival mode. Yeah, absolutely. And so we said, how do we just keep the doors open? How do we maintain? How do we, you know, keep our people safe? Whatever those those priorities that that most organizations probably had during that time was it was such an incredible focus that we had to have that over time as as kind of the pandemic waned and and we got back to I guess what we call sort of normal yeah. life <laughs> are you there <laughs> if yet? there yeah if there is anything <laughs> such as normal he he just said you know I just don't I don't even know what to do as a CEO anymore. And I thought, wow, that's, it's a powerful thing to hear that because so often we think that people, you know, who have been CEOs for a long time, mm-hmm. they have it figured out. Right. And all of us have some sort of uh, vulnerability. We all have moments of imposter syndrome. We all mm-hmm. think like there are times where we're not, may not be able to get 
through something or we don't have what it takes. Um, and sometimes it can be really comforting to hear that from from other people. Absolutely. And I also think there's that there's that stigma around senior leadership that they have all the answers. It's mm-hmm. okay to say, I don't know, but, right. you know, I'll try to find out. Um, and there's so many experts in the community, in the various fields. There's, there's so many resources that there's going to be somebody that knows the answer to your question. And as a senior leader, that also shows the vulnerability for the team, you know, sure. just to ask questions and feel comfortable saying you don't know. Don't, right. don't fake it, you know. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a sign of of a good team where where people are willing to, where they feel psychological safety. So they feel mm-hmm. comfortable sharing when they don't know something or asking questions or sharing a new idea or taking a, a risk and trying mm-hmm. something new without fear of, you know, yes, consequences. So I, I love that. I wanted to share too, I, I was thinking of a story when you when we were talking about positive mental models, like mm-hmm. in one one story that like really, I, I remember this very well, but I was in Terre Haute and went to the, there's that Holocaust museum there mm-hmm. that Eva Kaur helped found. She was a Holocaust survivor. And there was this uh, recording of a news program that she was on. And I guess several years ago, somebody bombed the, the museum. Right. A- and... So they interviewed her, and I think the the news reporter was really trying to get a reaction from her, and he said, aren't you just devastated? You've worked so hard at building this up, and now it's destroyed, and, you know, there's still hate in the world, and mm-hmm. and said those types of things. And and her, her response was so, like, so moving to me because she said, you know, this isn't the worst day of my life. Right. Yep. And I think, like, that perspective is really important as leaders, like, to try to help people find perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there are times where, I mean, we, we deal with horrific things as, as mm-hmm. leaders and the people on our staff. I'm sure the people that you lead deal with some really tough things. But on, but on the whole, like, it's our responsibility to help move them through that and to, mm-hmm. to find the perspective. Absolutely. I think a lot of the individuals we serve have just horrible trauma, horrible mm-hmm. lifetime childhood trauma, generational poverty. I mean, it's just just a vicious cycle that they can't break. And a lot of staff members and team members, they also have trauma that they're trying to process that, you know, it's like breaking open the wound again whenever they're interacting with a vulnerable population and they may have their own childhood trauma or, or another form. And supporting them so that they understand an incident or an experience or an event doesn't define them and their mentality is really, really important. Um, And, you know, of course you can say all the great things, but it it really is setting the example and, and just doing it together. And, and, you know, we're going to have our good and our bad days. And, you know, I have a really great management team where if somebody is, not understanding or maybe performing just a little bit less than they normally do one day, we have a whole team to help pick them up and so that we're all succeeding together. So I think just changing and, and working to support them through the, the mentality change and their approach to situations is really important. Yeah, great. When you were talking about your military experience, one of the areas you you mentioned was being a female in the military. And I'm sure that's unique. I don't know what the statistics are, 
but I imagine it's a very small percentage yes. of, of people in the Army are, are female. How has your gender influenced how you lead? Oh, that is a really good question. In my mind, it's kind of twofold. So internally, and this, you know, this may not be 100% necessarily healthy, but <laughs> internally, it's I need to work harder. I need to get to work before everybody else. I need to know everything, you know, and and I push myself to, and I always have, especially starting, you know, 19 in the military, is I have to know everything in order for them to feel comfortable with what I'm saying, you know, be the subject matter expert. Sure. And so outwardly, you know, I try to, and this has also evolved. So in the military outwardly, I was just very RBF, you know, like just very straight faced, non-approachable, don't talk to me <laughs> type, which is not, it's, but that's how I kept things, threats, and, and situations away from me was to not be this approachable person. Um, but however, you know, through my professional journey and leadership, I've realized I can't have that face all the time. You have to look approachable to be approachable. So that's, I make a conscious, <laughs> it sounds crazy, but I make a conscious effort every day to be smiling and maybe it's raising my eyebrows or, you know, whatever the case may be to make myself approachable. And I think, you know, and I still struggle with this sometimes and I still have to work through it. But I think as, as a female in the military, you immediately put up these walls to keep yourself safe, you know, whether it's outside the wire, inside the, whatever the case may be. And that's, it's going to be something that sticks with you for, mm -hmm. for a very, very long time. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think leading as, as a woman, as much as we try to, say we are, we treat people equally, it's pretty clear when you look at research, you know, around mm -hmm. it, it, the perception and, and what's acceptable for a man versus a woman is, is different. I think the, the only thing I, I identify with that was moving into a leadership role at a very young age. Mm -hmm. I felt similar things like, you know, for, for listeners, I was a high school principal when I was 27. And had teachers that had taught longer than I'd been mm -hmm. alive. And yep. everybody was, you know, parents were older than me, very inexperienced. Mm -hmm. And I felt like there was, uh, you know, the imposter syndrome was certainly there because I knew I didn't know hardly anything. <laughs> <laughs> You're honest. And, and I felt like I had to do everything possible to prove myself. Mm -hmm. And so to spend longer days at the office and be the last car to leave yes. the parking lot. Mm -hmm. And and as you mentioned, it it wasn't necessarily a healthy right. <laughs> thing. <laughs> there were aspects of it that I think people saw that I was dedicated mm -hmm. and trying hard. And, and sometimes when people see you're putting forth effort, they give you the benefit of the doubt versus somebody Absolutely. who's there as little as possible. And, and so, so I, I, I understand that part and probably, you know, a lot, a lot of people listening have some aspect of them that says like, because of this, I need to 
over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's overcompensate. Overcompensate. Yes. That's the word I was looking yes. for. That's right? <laughs> funny you mentioned that. My COO is Eric Tilkemeyer. He is great. But me being a younger female and being the CEO, we have gone out to many, many places and they first approach him. They assume that he is the CEO. And and it's so funny and, and it's almost a joke between us now. So, I mean, he'll turn to him and say, and this is Savannah Wood, the CEO. And they're like, oh, you know, <laughs> just because of gender and age. I mean, there is just our natural bias. You know, it's, it's human nature to have bias and assumptions. Um, and so there's, you know, no fault of their own, but it's always funny to see their faces whenever they, you know, look at him and me. So, sure, yeah. sure. You had mentioned one big development at Echo Housing is House of Bread and Peace. Talk about that and what led to that decision. How does that fit in in the work that you do? Sarah Wolf is our social service director, and she came to us in 2021. But prior to that, she was the House of Bread and Peace executive director for over 18 years. And at the end of last year, so November, December timeframe, their board had approached us and, and said, hey, can we sit down and maybe, you know, because Echo Mission and House of Bread and Peace Mission, they're very much aligned. We both serve vulnerable homeless populations. Is there any way we can collaborate and, and kind of work together? And and from there, it was just kind of one step to the next. And and so we're actually working through the consolidation now still. Um, but we took over management um, of the house in January. And it's emergency shelter is tough. And the staffing 24-7, and it's very low barrier. So, you know, anybody that needs, any woman or child that needs a place to stay can come stay there. Um, But you deal with the barriers and the trauma and the substance use and the addictions and the mental illness and all of that while keeping everybody safe. And so there's been, you know, hey, are you sure you want to do emergency shelter? And well, yes, because everybody needs a place and we believe in housing first. And and so this to us just seems like a natural progression. We already do the supportive housing and we, you know, we have rental properties in the community and we build affordable housing. And so this is just another layer that we're excited to have mm-hmm. as far as the continuum. Great. I know your, I guess your slogan has sort of been housing first. What does that mean? Like, sure. So. It was in the early 2000s, kind of the federal state level motto was housing ready, which, you know, in order to receive housing, you had to receive primary care, substance treatment, you had to be on medications for mental illness and all these steps before you could get housed. And, you know, 2010s decade, they changed it to the housing first model, um, which it's not adopted everywhere. This is kind of, you know, something local jurisdictions can adopt or states can adopt. But that really has been the most successful practice is housing first, where, you know, you you get housed first and then our social service team works with you for your primary care and your substance use and your mental illness so that you remain stably housed. And of course, one aspect to that is you got to hit the ground running. You know, as soon as somebody moves in, they have to have that full, all the wraparound services to make sure that they're, you know, receiving the care that they need immediately. And so it really is intensive in the very beginning. But it's very successful. Mm-hmm. So the idea is really you have to have your basic needs mm-hmm. like shelter yes. taken care of before you can probably address, you know, other issues or barriers to that you're experiencing in life. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we have had a lot of questions come through our website and, and through email. 
you know, why are you using taxpayer dollars for this types of subsidy and, and subsidized housing and the homeless and, you know, if they're, they're drug users. And really, it's a taxpayer cost savings, a 90% savings, because these are the individuals that are not going to jails. They're not going to the hospitals and the emergency rooms. You know, they're not, they're not staying at Southwest, you know, so it is, it is actually a savings, but it, it's hard to understand unless you're in the thick of doing it. So. Sure. Yeah, I, I, can, I can understand some of those concerns, but also recognizing that if you put people in a, in a safe, stable place, the likelihood of some of the things you mentioned mm-hmm. um, occurring is is significantly less. Absolutely. So if you think about future, this could be personal or pre- professional. What are you excited about? <laughs> Let's see. I'm excited to finish my master's. Let's okay. start there <laughs> personally. When, when are you, uh, we were talking before we started recording. So master's of public affairs. affairs. Mm-hmm. From IU, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And when will you be done? <laughs> in two years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually in my first, you know, semester. Okay. And I'm like, man, I can't wait to be done. <laughs> it's a lot, but it's great, and I'm learning a ton. And it's it's strange because that what I'm learning in this and and collaboration and networks and and you know public administration it completely aligns with what we're working on with the Promise Zone and a sustainability plan, and so. While personally, yes, getting my master's is going to be amazing, that ties directly into professional and our focus of not only building more affordable housing in the community, but our transition or sustainability plan for the Promise Zone when the designation is up in 2026. And so we're really excited. Eric and I, our COO, both have this mentality of, you know, everybody's the same. Everybody has these strengths and everybody brings a different piece to the table. Um, And it doesn't need to be one agency or another. I mean, anybody that wants to join can join um, and develop initiatives and actually accomplish things, specific activities that accomplish goals um, for physical, social, and economic development. Sure. Well, great. Well, I wish you all the best in your in your studies. <laughs> Thanks. You I, too. <laughs> I know it's hard with balancing kids yes. and balancing a demanding job too. How can people find out more about you or Echo Housing? So we, we're on all the social media. We actually have a TikTok too. And I, don't ask me how to work it. I'd have to ask my kids. But And our website is echohousing.org. Um, and so we're really active on both our website and Facebook. Great. Well, thank you for being part of this discussion. Really enjoyed the conversation with you, Savannah, (laughs) and I hope you have a great day. Thanks, you too. To learn more about Dr. Tad Dickel and the T.A. Dickel Group, please visit tadickel.com. Thank you for joining us.